Hi, Vogue World listeners. This is Molly Holschlag from Molly.com having a very lovely time in London with all of the Vogue World fans. Boag World. Boag. Boag. Americans pronounce it Boag. He's pretentious. So does everyone else. Yeah. Welcome to Bogue Podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites. Designing, developing and running websites. This is what everybody waits for. This is what everybody waits for. Hello and welcome to the 65th episode of, oh, I can't be bothered, <laughs> boagworld.com, I feel like rubbish, why am I even recording this, Marcus feels like rubbish too, we're sick, yet you demand we do the podcast, I hate you all, it's, this is just a hangover from Friday night isn't it, we, we can still have a hangover <laughs> from the Boagworld meetup, it's like at the middle of the week. Well, I don't feel too bad. I just couldn't. It was one of those. It's one one of those sort of little snivelling little colds um, that's fine until I try and lie down, and then I'm hacking away all night and sleeping on the sofa because I got kicked out of bed by my wife for being so well, noisy. As and I feel you like crap. Yeah. Bleh. So no one cares though. No, they don't. <laughs> they would do if they were actually with us because they would. They would. You know, we would be spluttering over them and they would be picking up our germs. This but the best true. we can do is cough and sniff down the microphone to make their lives a misery. <laughs> that was particularly there attractive. There we go. Anyway, okay. Hello, everybody. And welcome Hello. to <laughs> com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing, and running websites on a daily basis. This is episode 65, entitled Dying, because that's how we feel. Anyway, there we go. In Interesting this to see show, what the figures are on this yeah. da- da- podcast entitled Dying. Interesting. Yeah. No doubt we'll get sort of 50,000 listeners or something. Probably. Yeah, because we all, everybody likes to see someone else suffer, don't they? It'll be quite a disappointment when they find out we just got cold. <laughs> you know, we, we aren't getting kind of, you know, attacked by the Ask a Ninja guy or something. Anyway, on this week's show, we are going to look at why you should be abandoning your PCs and going back to pen and paper in a kind mm-hmm. of why don't you type of fashion. Turn off that computer and go and do something less boring instead. That, We're that's gonna... uh, very much an English thing, of even of a certain age. I mean, I know what you I know. mean by that. You know I like to be exclusive <laughs> and to exclude our <laughs> listeners from the show. <laughs> Anyone between the ages of 35 and 45 who lived in the south of England, no... uh, Yes, it's it's almost that specific. (laughs) Go and look it up. Why don't you? There you go. Uh, That's what Google's for, you see. Um, We're also going to look at Vista. Um, You might go, oh, oh, the whole world's looking at Vista. We don't want another review on Vista. But I'm going to look at it specifically from a web designer's perspective and what it means to us as web designers. Um, we're going to look at support and browser support, what you should be supporting, what you shouldn't, that kind of thing. We've got um, Drew from allinthehead.com who is coming in and talking about Ruby on Rails and frameworks. 
I have been accused by people of having two geeky things in the show. And Ruby on Rails and Frameworks may fall into that category. But as well as being geeky, it's also quite interesting. And I learned something. So I, that's, my, that's my policy for deciding whether it should go on the show, is um, am I interested in it? And I am interested in knowing about Ruby on Rails, so therefore it's him. And Marcus, I believe you've got probably the most exciting segment we have ever done on Boag World lined up for this week. Would you like well, to tell our listeners about it? Obviously, it's in, so you must find it quite interesting. Well, you didn't give me a lot of choice. <laughs> now, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is, over the next few weeks, talk about um, contracts and basically preparation. Shut up. Preparation before starting any work. Um, and unfortunately, the first one of those is terms and conditions. So I hope you're wow. all listening, listening carefully when we get to my bit. There are, there are going to be people. F- there are going to be people fast forwarding through the podcast <laughs> just to get to that bit of the show. But anyway, it's there we go. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, I'm not, whatever. I'm not up to arguing today. No, we can't even be bothered to bicker <laughs> with one another. Anyway, that about um, rounds up what we're going to do in the show. Let's start off as usual with our news segment. So as normal, we have a load of news and events lined up for you, which is good stuff. Oh, so, God, coughing, spluttering. That was me heading the other way, virtually out the door. Uh, well, could be worse. We could be vomiting. We? This is true. Yes. <laughs> Get the microphone messy. More information than people know. We need to know. But there you go. So the first news story up is Bar Camp. Now, if you have not come across Bar Camp before, then I seriously suggest you check it out. Barcamp is probably one of the best web events about, and they happen all around the world, but the Barcamp that I'm going to refer to is the one in the UK. It's happening um, in the 17th and 18th of February, which is over a weekend uh, up in London. And um, the best thing about Barcamp, well, there's two good things about Barcamp. Number one is it's free which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Number two is that everybody that goes contributes, which means there's no speakers. So there's no kind of um, web celebs, you know, the same people saying the same stuff again and again and again, which, let's face it, gets boring after a while. Instead, everybody that attends bar camp does a half an hour slot, um, and you can pick which sessions you want to sign up for and go along to. And you hear everybody else speak, which I think is a very good idea. So um, check that out. Um, You can find out more about it at barcamp.org forward slash barcamp London, one word, number two. Barcamp London, number two. Um, Definitely worth going to. Now, here's the secret thing. Last time that they did Barcamp, they sold out all the tickets in about like five minutes flat. And only if you were in the know did you get a ticket. This time round, Ian Forrester is being a bit more cunning. Ian Forrester is the guy that's um, organising it. And uh, he has released 100 tickets, which sold out in about half an hour flat. And now he's drip-feeding the remaining tickets over a period of time. So you need to keep looking to try and work out when the next uh, set of tickets is coming out. So it's a, a bit of a bit of a challenge. But I'll let you in on an inside secret. When I was talking to him on Friday... He um he was saying that um he, he I was trying to persuade him to release a new set of tickets to coincide with the .net podcast which will come out Monday of next week so there's a little clue for you. Next up on the news front is um a new article from the Alista Part site um 
obviously they always have great articles on there this one particularly caught my attention and i thought was particularly interesting and it was called paper prototyping and it's this idea that actually we should be considering um moving away from using photoshop to do design mock-ups at least for part of the phase and to do more and more of our prototyping whether it be design or information architecture using real paper away from that evil computer and he talks about the various benefits of doing um paper paper prototyping your stuff though because you can't draw well, you don't need to be able to draw. You ought to see the picture. Yeah, all right, I can't draw. No need to rub that in. Neither can I. But if you look at the, pic- if you look at the pictures that are actually shown on um, the list Part site, they're not nicely drawn. But it's about the idea of when you do user testing, kind of sketching stuff out and even the user kind of contributing to it um, and sketching stuff out. The great thing about doing stuff on paper, I mean, he goes through a load of points, but the two that particularly interest me was the fact that um, paper is very kind of disposable. You're not kind of committed to what you scribble down. You can throw it away and do something new without it being a big deal. Mm. But also the fact that anybody can contribute ideas and sketches to stuff. So you don't need to be a designer to scribble out a, you know, what you think the design should look like. So it means that everybody can start contributing. It's quicker so It's a really well. good article. It is. It's loads quicker. It's, it's a really sound idea. And I don't know why we don't do it more. Mm. Probably because it doesn't look quite as posh. <laughs> but it's a really good article, so go and check that one out. Next up in our news segment is um, a new book that is coming out very soon called Bulletproof Ajax, which is coming from a Jeremy Keith. Um, there is a website up for it if you want to check out more about it. It's called bulletproofajax.com. And it's very much the follow-up to his previous book, which is um, was Dom Scripting. Now, if you've listened to this podcast from any length of time, you will know that I absolutely adore and love DOM scripting. The reason being is it's aimed at people like me. It's aimed at designers um, and getting designers doing cool stuff with JavaScript. Jeremy Key's logic is that JavaScript is a kind of front-end technology, um, and it's part of the user experience, so it's therefore the designers that should be doing it, which I totally agree with. So what he's done now is gone a step further and is looking at um ajax and and applying the same kind of principles and the same way of writing and doing things at least that's what i gather um to bulletproof ajaxes with dom scripting so it's a great book if you've read dom scripting and you're looking to what to do next then bulletproof ajax is the way to go he's also asked me to mention that he's doing a workshop relating to this book as well um uh, kind of to go with the launch of the book pretty much it's on the 2nd of march down in brighton um and you can find out more about it at clearleft.com forward slash training forward slash ajax and then the really snappy forward slash two double zero seven zero three zero two there you go there's a nice url for you i'll put it in the show notes um but i thought i'd mention it here as well if you're um if you can't wait to get the book then the ajax workshop is a good idea Downside is it does cost £295, and that's only if you book before the 12th of February. It goes up after that. But I can highly recommend it. I got to sit on in on the workshop um, when I was across at Refresh, and it is a very good workshop. So there you go. That's um, the Ajax book that's coming out soon. Last thing I wanted to mention on the news before we move on is a little kind of clever little script that got sent through to me um, for me to have a look at and it's kind of a, called a custom reading container script and it's quite a hard thing to describe 
but basically it allows the user to resize elements within a web page so they could dra uh, drag out a map and make it bigger or they could drag out a text area and make it bigger and just kind of resize stuff on the on the fly really and it's only a kind of proof of concept at the moment. It relies on JavaScript. It needs PHP to work. It's only been tested in a limited number of browsers. But I really think it's quite an exciting area. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that kind of develops because it offers all kinds of possibilities to the user. Say, for example, if you've got a map on a page um, that's fiddly and too small, you can drag it to make a, uh, it larger. If you want to kind of if you've got a widescreen monitor and it's a fixed width site then you can drag out the site to fill more of the real estate it's very cool it's worth having a look at if nothing else that sounds really good so there you go that it does it is really good you'd like it marcus because it's kind of all bells and whistles and no substance <laughs> <laughs> no that's not true it is actually very useful so there you go check that out that's the news and let's move on to client corner right contracts Terms and conditions, very boring, oh. I know. <laughs> I'm going to take my but, headphones off. Can you ping yeah, you can me just, when you're done? Yeah, just go and have a little lie down, Paul. You know okay. you need one. Okay. Um, the only thing that's worth mentioning with regards to contracts is better safe than sorry. I don't think we've ever, in all our years of been writing and creating contracts for all the work that we do, ever ha had to kind of, you know, go back and point the finger and say, ah, oh, but it said this. But it's just that kind of safety net, a cushion that's there for both parties so that if anything does go wrong, you've got some kind of process to go through to make try, to either make it better or, or to, to agree not to agree. Um, and I also figure that this isn't only for clients, it's also for sort of the lone designer or the two, two you know, the developer and the designer who don't, you know, who don't tend to think about things like contracts and the like. So this is just as much for you as it is for um, the lone guy or girl who's lumped with the, the website and has to go and get a new new agency to design that website. So hopefully some of this is useful. It will get more interesting from next week on, hopefully. But we have to start somewhere, and that's with terms and conditions. Yay! <laughs> this is all the legalese stuff, you know, notwithstanding and hereafter and all that blah, blah, blah stuff. <laughs> But if you're if you're a website owner, check if the company um, if the company you work for already has T's and C's. Most big organisations do have, and and you know we were working with public sector. They nearly always say to us, "We're not using your terms and conditions. You have to use ours," and they'll lump them at us. Now, if if you're in that position, that you you need to find out if that com if your company has terms and conditions, um, and whether they have to be used for any particular job, because often they they are you know any. Any contractor that's brought on has to use these terms and conditions, and often they're completely um, inappropriate for the job. I mean, for example, we've had ones where we've had to, according to the terms and, terms and conditions, all deliverables will be delivered by transit. You know, so I have to drive <laughs> drive the website down there by a lorry, uh, that kind of thing. So you know, they, it, it, they try and cover every base, but it doesn't always work. So so often you you might you might want to have to have a look at speaking to legal people about possibly uh, amending them. But if none of that applies and and you receive a contract um, from from an agency as part of as well, after after you've selected them after you've selected them through through a uh, through the tender process then what normally happens is there'll be a bit of contract negotiation and half of of the documentation that you will receive will be a kind of schedule or, to, or statement of work which is what we'll come on to next week which describes the project but the other half is about terms and conditions usually. Um, 
and to, to a lot of people, this, this, this kind of thing is just a complete turn-off, and they don't even read it. But oh, I guess the main thing I'm saying here is read it. Read every word and try and take it in. Even though lawyers like to use this sort of arcane English, they do it because, well, frankly, they do it because it, it means they can charge a lot of money. And I've had that <laughs> from the horse's mouth. It's true. They, go to, they, they, go, they go, uh, go to university for years to learn all this stuff. But most of it actually does make sense if you, if you pour your way through it. Um, if you really can't understand it, get advice, because you might be agreeing to something here which you really don't want to. Things to look out for is um, look for fairness in both ways. For example, um, it might say in terms of conditions that you, the client, is expected to defend the contractor in, in a particular situation. I don't know if, if, the, if, if you've used... Um, materials that aren't aren't, aren't uh, that doesn't belong to either of the parties or something like that. Just make sure that it works both ways. Look out for, you know, the client will defend the contractor and the contract and vice versa. Basically, that kind of thing. Um, general things to look out for in terms of conditions are make sure that you've got uh, full company name um, and that that company is the company you expect to be working with. I.e., if you're expecting to work with Joe Bloggs Limited and it comes up with, I don't know. Um, XYZ company of Hong Kong, then you might want to ask why. Um, it might be perfectly, <laughs> but it might be perfectly legitimate. But you uh, you need to make sure that you're actually the the company that you're contracting to actually exists. And you can do that if you go to www.companieshouse.co.uk. You can look up any company and you can see whether they're bankrupt, dissolved, trading, whatever. So um, I imagine does it does it also make a difference? And perhaps this is a bit beyond kind of our knowledge, but. If if you find out you are signing the contract with a company in Hong Kong, then if there are problems, are you going to have to negotiate under Hong Kong law or something? Well, the very bottom point here, but we can pull it up, is is oh, one, of sorry. Things, one of the that's right. One of the things you need to look up, look for in in the terms and conditions is what the governing law of that contract is. If it says it's the um, the governing law relates to the rules of law of England, then even if you're contracting to a, a Hong Kong company, then it, the, okay. the contract is based on English law, so, right? But if that was left open, then you you know you, there's a potential um, you know uh, potential for problems. Um, moving on, you make sure that um, the terms and conditions reference the schedule or the statement of work, so that those terms and conditions apply to the that particular uh, to the to the particular job. Look for things like relationships between the parties. I make sure that. Um, I guess this is more from the other way around, more from the agency point of view. Make sure that you're not, your not your employees aren't aren't uh, employees of of the of the of the client for the for the for the period of the of the project. So you know, it's in, in theory, it's possible that you could be signing something that says um, your particular designer is an employee of the client for six weeks and cannot work on anything else. So just make wow. sure things like that aren't in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at deliverables. This is a real big one because um, that kind of brings in uh, things like rights, um, intellectual property rights in particular. Now, make sure you know what you're going to own at the end when you've paid up, if you like. Um, mm. That's a very important thing. It's quite legitimate and, and normal for um, for contractors to look to 
continue to own certain things like um, uh, base um, graphics files, source source graphic files, and and some code uh, in certain cases. But just just you need to know what that is, and, and if if you wanted to own those source graphic files, would it cost you more? Is it possible? That kind of thing. Um, Things like confidentiality, um, you know, what happens if confidentiality is broken, and finally liability, which is a real big one, and it's the one. That, well, it's usually the area of terms and conditions that um, tend tend to have the most toing and froing, in my experience, anyway. And that's the bit when I was referring to making sure that they're fair. I.e., it's good to yeah. have li liabilities in there if something happens, such and such will happen, but make sure it's equal on, uh, in both parties. So really, yeah, just my advice is just take the time to, to read through it. Don't be daunted by it, because even though it's written in, in sort of somewhat old-fashioned English, it is English, uh, just about. Uh, and just sort of make sure that all of, everything is covered, really. That's it. Cool. I, can, I suddenly, for the first time in five years, I have long where we've been in business, I understand why I need you. <laughs> 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 oh, I can this this stuff does my head in. I can't I can't be doing with it at all. But yeah, I mean it, it takes a certain type of person to deal with this kind of stuff. This is where I feel sorry for freelancers that have to deal with mm. all this kind of crap by themselves. But I missed quite a bit go. out as well. But I, you know, I, I I can I can I can only be so cruel. Yeah, you can only put people through so much. Exactly. Okay, waivers, so serverability, all of that kind of stuff. Oh, <laughs> so let's move on before Marcus starts again. Okay, so next up is our Agony Uncle section. And uh, this week we have a question sent in from Danny, who is one of the guys... Um, Can't it be Agony Aunt? I like the idea of Auntie Paul. I'm not a girl. <laughs> not Can't that... you just be for the next five minutes? Do I have to put on a wig and a skirt and things? <laughs> a silly voice, that's all. Oh, I can't do a silly voice at the moment. You're lucky I've got any voice at all at the moment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Good idea, mine. Let's, you can do this section next week, and you can do it that way if you'd like to. There we go. See how I'm feeling. So Danny, Danny has sent in an interesting question that um, we'll have a quick listen to. Hey, Paul. This is Danny, also known as Think from your forums. With the recent release of IE7, is it time as web developers to drop support for IE5 and IE5.5? It would also be interesting to know, when replying to a client's specifications, do you specify what browsers your design and code will support? And does it include other browsers such as Opera, Opera Mini, Windows Mobile, Opera on the Wii, to name but a few? I know using Web Standard goes a long way to support most browsers, but is the time implementing fixes for a site to show in a five-year-old browser or a browser with limited reach really worth the hassle if a client doesn't specify what browser to support? Thanks in advance, Danny. Good question. Yeah, well, that's basically what I'm going to talk about next week. Oh, is it really? <laughs> well, it's what, I might not get that far, but obviously that's a big part of your statement of work. Is what um, you support what and what you don't. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's no, a big, big... get 5.5 and 5, chuck them, kick them into the long grass. We don't support them anymore. See, that's yeah. just, such a, just such a balanced view you've got there, Marcus. It's all, um, about, well, it's all about return on investment, isn't it? It's, it's my pet yeah. subject again. Like Danny said at the end of his question, is it really worth the work to support these arcane browsers that kind of um, only have a small audience? I don't no. think... I, no, the, the, the answer is no. But you can't be kind of black and white with these things. You can't make, unlike Marcus, sweeping generalizations like we never, we're never going to support IE5 again. You have to make it on a client-by-client -client basis. 
And that that decision needs to be based on usage, not a kind of predefined list. So as you look through their stats, you kind of make a decision, okay, they're still getting a lot of 5.5 users or there's a lot of users here that are accessing via mobile phones or whatever else. Uh, I think the big thing is a lot of clients actually put in their invitations to tender what browsers they want to support. And I think it's important not to blindly agree to whatever browsers are in the client's list, but to ask why they want to support those browsers and whether they've got statistics to back up um, whether you know it's worth supporting those browsers. I think clients quite like you to to challenge them and guide them over things, and and they're not going to sometimes they're not going to have a problem if you go back and say you know okay um, you suggested supporting IE five. Um, you know, on what are you basing that? Is it just because, you know, is it just because you're kind of your daughter's still using IE5 or have you got stats to back that up? Maybe you don't want to word it in that way. But, you know, to to look say, well, let's look through the stats together. Let's see which are the best browsers to consider. Um, what, we, what we normally do in our in our statements of work these days, are kind of like uh, in our default position is we say that we support i6, i7, Firefox 1.5 and above, and Safari on a Mac, Safari 2, I think it is, mm. um, and basically say that we can check, um, we, we can agree a process for other less used browsers, and which is normally based on we can check, um, correct anything, any major issues, uh, and ignore any minor issues, or not, as the case may be, and kind of do that on, on a time and materials basis. Mm. Um, which some clients have agreed to. Others say, well, it's not worth it. We'll just do the... We don't always do it on the time materials, do we? Do we not? Oh, I suppose the checking we all do on a fixed price, but then the the fixes we'll do on a time materials. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly, because you don't know. You might check it and it might be fine. Yeah, so, so you don't want to kind of say, might... yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, that's, that's good. I think um, that, you know... Marcus has kind of done half of what I was going to say, really, which is that um, have a default list that you kind of put in um, to initial contracts, but say, you know, if we're going to expand that list, this is the approach that we take. I mean, there's also something called um, uh, a graded support system to browsers where you um, treat browsers in different ways depending on on them. So, for example, you, you don't say, I'm not going to support IE5. You say, you know, I'm going to support it, but I'm only going to deliver it raw HTML. I'm not going to deliver it a style sheet, things like that. Mm. Um, there's actually a really good article that kind of covers this written by Yahoo in their, their developer network section where they, they explain how they deal with browser support. So you might want to go and check that out, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. As normal, you can get the show notes by going to boagworld.com forward slash podcast and selecting uh, show 65. I think one more thing on this. Yeah, go on. One more thing is um, operating systems. So you know, do you support IE six on uh, you know a non Windows platform, for example? Uh, That's probably a bad example, but we've had problems in the past where we've uh, you know know, things haven't worked because it's an obscure system it's been running on. Yeah. Um, So uh, it's worth just being clear that you're talking about Windows operating systems here. Yeah, I mean, it, or or Mac. Or Macs, or yes. Macs, obviously. Um, you, do, it, you do need to specify that because there are differences with, between the way browsers renders on the operating systems. I mean, the classic one that I remember actually wasn't the browser, but was um, Flash plugin under Linux that it, that was, it, it. Was, yeah. it was causing problems, wasn't it, on one of our projects. Yeah. 
Um, and it's like, well, well... You couldn't see the Flash plug-in and it was screwing the layout of the rest of the page. Well, no, they had the, the Flash plug-in was working. If, it, if they hadn't have had the plug-in, that would have been fine. But it was not rendering the, the... I don't know, it was screwing up in some way anyway. So it is worth bearing that in mind as well. Okay, let's move on to our Ask the Expert section for the day. I have to confess something to you that um, I don't know a lot about Ruby on Rails. And Ruby on Rails is this really trendy thing at the moment that everybody kind of bandies around. And it's I I didn't really know or understand the benefits of it. So I've taken a little bit of a liberty with the Ask an Expert section this week um, and asked a question myself in preference to it being a question that you guys have sent in. So the question um, was directed at Drew. Now, Drew works uh, over at Yahoo um, and has got an excellent site um, at allinthehead.com. Um, normally, he talks about microformats, but I managed to drag him onto a different subject, and that subject was Ruby on Rails. So this is what he had to say when I asked him, what's the pros and cons of Ruby? Should I be considering it? Ruby on Rails is a, a relatively young web development framework that aims to make the production of web apps simpler and faster. It does this by focusing on making life easier for the developer by extracting out a lot of the everyday routine, tedious tasks that a developer has to undertake. Of course, you don't need Ruby on Rails to do this. Um, many experienced developers have built up their own framework of sorts uh, through, through the course of their work. So what is a framework? I mean, essentially... It's just a load of bits of reusable code that are strung together into some sort of a coherent system. Um, those bits of code are uh, sort of tackling a lot of the, the nuts and bolts of the app, typically the mindless, boring bits that are required, um, but aren't in themselves that interesting. You can then use that system uh, as the basis of a new application, having only to write the bits that are specific to the app that you're working on. This, on the whole, is a very good idea. It saves time and obviously helps keep developers sane. As good an idea as it is, however, a lot of developers don't already work in this way. And so the idea of a ready-made framework that gives them lots of functionality for free uh, is obviously very appealing. As I said, though, uh, Ruby on Rails isn't the only framework out there. There are similar things for PHP, for ASP, um, for Python, Perl, and the list goes on. The most important thing, I think, is to pick a language that you know very well um, and that's going to be workable for whoever... Uh, is you're building the app for. So that could be yourself. Um, in a lot of cases, you're actually working for somebody else. If you're building for someone else um, and you don't have an ongoing contract to maintain that app, uh, then if you're working in something like Ruby on Rails, it's, it's actually going to do your client a bit of a disservice. It's going to prove harder for them to host and an awful lot harder for them to find other Ruby on Rails developers to work with in the future. A more commonly used language such as uh, PHP is very well understood, very easy to host. There's lots of sort of shared knowledge out there. Um, PHP developers are cheap and fairly easy to find. So if you're just building an app for yourself, either as a a sort of personal project or perhaps um, as part of a a startup or as an internal system, the choice is a little less critical. Um, Essentially, it's a case of being happy to lie in whatever bed you make for yourself. If it's just a personal project, um, it can be really satisfying to learn a new language and work with something like Ruby. Many developers find Ruby uh, very enjoyable to work with and to code because of the language's sort of elegant design. In a startup, the primary consideration is going to be whatever enables you to get to the market the quickest. Uh, obviously, you haven't got any revenue coming into the company until you launch. If your developers know a particular language very well, then perhaps a good idea is to find a suitable framework in that language and give it a go. Ultimately, there's nothing magic about Ruby on Rails. 
the principles of using a framework to speed up development are sound. You should just consider the hosting, support and maintenance implications of whatever language you choose. I'm such a fashion victim that um, I kind of, everybody's talking about Ruby and I think, oh, we should be looking at Ruby, you know, and you kind of get swept along with whatever the latest trend is. Um, but actually what I think what Drew said was really balanced the idea that, you know, you've got to consider long-term maintenance. You've got to consider the languages your developers already know. You've got to consider the needs of the client and that kind of stuff. So it was really good stuff. Really good. Thank you very much, Drew. Yeah, it was a good one. Thank you very much, Drew. And Marcus enjoyed it and it was Mm. technical. So I enjoyed that. So let's move on to our review segment. Okay, so for the review this week, I thought I would do something a little bit different. Instead of reviewing a website or a technique or whatever, I thought I would review Vista because Vista is out. It's official. It's being launched to the consumer market. I think it's today. Thereabouts, yes. I think it went live. Actually, it went live last night. So Vista is now out and about Now, obviously, there are loads of reviews out there talking about Vista and the benefits of it. But I thought um, I would spend a few minutes talking about it from a web designer's perspective, because um, obviously being the uber geek that I am, I couldn't resist installing it the instant I got my sweaty little hands on it. Um, So I thought I'd share a little bit about. No, that's because I persuaded you out of it, didn't I? No, it's because it doesn't have Media Center on it. Oh, uh, because we've got the business edition and you yeah. want the super supreme special so I'm edition. I'm going to buy the ultimate version. Ooh, are you really? Maybe. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, I thought um, I would spend a couple of minutes just talking to you about my own experiences of setting it up um, and how really I think it's going to affect um, us as web designers and, and some of the features that is good for us as web designers. So installation went okay. It went pretty well. Um I did manage to have uh, a few problems with a couple of drivers. Um, Most of the drivers for the machine it installed um, all by itself and just got on with it and did the business and it did it very well and smoothly. A couple it couldn't deal with and so I had to put my my discs in with it, which were obviously designed for XP. And I did manage to generate the blue screen of death at one point. Um, (laughs) But all in all, it was a pretty pleasurable experience of installing it. So is it any better? Is it worth the upgrade? Well, it's got some really good file management um, stuff in it. A particular search is much better integrated, which I'm already finding is benefiting me um, as I'm working on projects and just finding files and keeping stuff together. You can also create search folders, um, which means that um, even if my documents are spread out all over the place, I can actually tag them up um, as being related to a specific project, then just look in the search folder and all the ones relating to that project are in there, So, which is very cool. Yes, I know that um, the Mac operating system has had this for ages. I'm not getting into the debate of whether Vista is better than OS X or any of that stuff. I'm just telling you what it's got in it. Another thing that's improved quite dramatically is kind of built-in FTP support. So before you used to be able to, in theory, network an FTP location um, and it kind of add it so you could browse it like you'd browse any other folder. But it always tended to be a bit rubbish under XP and would be a bit hit and miss working. It seems to be working a load better under Vista. Um, Now, I'm not saying it's perfect yet and I haven't put a heavy load on it um, in order to see quite how well it deals with hundreds of files being uploaded. But if you want something to quickly upload, you know, the odd 
you know, podcast or whatever, it seems to do that very well. So um, I just thought I would mention that better FTP mm. support. The other thing that it's got in it is um, IIS 7, which um, and the whole interface for that has been redone. And it, it, it looks a lot slicker and a lot nicer, feels more intuitive to use. Um, and the thing that I like most about IIS um, on Vista is the fact that I can now, um, with my business edition, and I presume this applies to all of them, I can now set up multiple sites like I could in the old server edition of um, XP. Or, oh, that's you know, brilliant. The previous. Yeah. I need and that. Now, yeah, yeah. It, it's really, really quite important, and it's very frustrating. You could do it under XP, but it, you had to use all kind of hacks and crappy approaches to get it working but the fact i can now turn them on and off and all that yeah it was it was a presentation yeah so all of that's gone away now with ii7 so i liked that that Mm. works very well um there's also a kind of degree of built-in version control kind of stuff a bit like cvs but not kind of sharing with other people but certainly having the ability to roll back files um, and it's got much better backup mechanisms, and I've already used that once or twice. Where, How does it do um, that, then? Well, it basically backs it. I've got it backing up onto an external um, drive, right. and so you can right-click on any file that you've uh, has gone through this backup process, and it'll show you all the previous versions of it, and you can restore to those previous versions, which is very nice. That's great. So I like that. Okay, mm. I'm sold. Yeah, it's not without its problems, however. Um, one, one big stumbling block that took me ages to work around is Photoshop. It wouldn't install Photoshop properly. And of course that's fairly fundamental for most web designers because a lot of us, um, use Photoshop and we, I had distinct problems getting that to work. And in the end I had to do some pretty dodgy stuff where I was, you know, I was supposedly logged on as administrator, but an administrator in, and Vista isn't a real administrator, and so it was kind of causing problems with the installation of Photoshop. And Anyway, so I had to do some bodging to get that to work. Now, there is something to help with the odd fo- um, program that you're having problems with, which is a compatibility mode where you can basically uh, right-click on a file and say, run this as XP instead. And that seems to help in a lot of situations, but didn't seem to help with Photoshop. At least I couldn't get it working. So it's got some productivity um, advantages to your average web designer. I also think it'll probably see some changes in the way that we approach and work with the web as well. For a start, there's going to be some new fonts available to us that are installed by default on Vista um, and that we can start using on some of our websites. So that's good. Um, Also, you've got a situation where Vista is starting to bring some technologies to the mainstream that could be of benefit to us. So for example, um, Vista has got RSS built into it a lot more. And so I can see RSS growing in popularity and becoming much more of a mainstream thing that we're using on more and more of our websites. Also, um, Vista supports desktop widgets. So I think, you know, as web designers, we could be doing various web you know, web-enabled widgets that we kind of add into, um, you know, stuff that we do as well. So it's interesting. I wouldn't rush to upgrade necessarily, um, but it's certainly got um, quite a few benefits that kind of make it worthwhile if you're a Windows user. Obviously, if you're a Mac user, this is all going to be old hat to you anyway. Um, <laughs> and don't write in telling me how much better OS ten is. I really don't care. So there you go. That about wraps up my review. And in fact, pretty much wraps up the show. 
One thing that we should have said right up at the front at the beginning of the show is what a great time we had at the Bargwell meetup and how good it was to meet all of you. There were about 30 people there and it was an absolutely stunning time. Um, and in fact, it was so good that we've now opened a new section on the Boag World Forum inspired by the Boag World Meetup called Pub Talk. So mm. you might want to check that out. Um, basically, that's your opportunity just to go in and talk about anything that's not related to web design. So no talking about web design in there. Although I have to say there are already quite a few geeky comments in there that um, many of which have been instigated by me. So there we go. So, yeah, it was great to talk to everybody. We are going to do another meetup before too long, um, and I hope that even more people can come this time around. And Marcus has added uh, or went around with his microphone looking suspicious and harassing people. Mm. And so we're going to finish today's show um, just with a load of different interviews and comments that people have made. So thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Andy. I uh, go by the name of Dufresne on the forums. Can you see the link there? And I'm a, one of the few people, I imagine, who are running a website rather than being a developer. Okay. Hi. Hi, I'm Kaz. Um, uh, and I, I come from Southampton. I work for the Southampton City Council. Awesome to be here. Um, love the podcast and... Um, it's good to meet everyone here that we that I talked to on the forum, so yeah. Cool. Hi, I'm Chris. I decided to set up this little meeting. And, um, oh, hello, Chris. Hi. And uh, didn't expect it to be so big as this, so I was just expecting a little group of people that listen to the podcast. And now Paul and Marcus are here, and people that have written books and all sorts, so it's really good. Yeah, that's not Paul and Marcus, by the way, <laughs> but there you go. Dan, and I'm from London. I was late here, sorry. That's alright. Uh, I need more beer, naturally. Of course. Hi, my name's Rowan. I work for a charity in East London called Jim and I. Right. Cool. Uh, G-E-M-I-N I. Uh, I don't have a forum name, and I think some people resent me for not registering the forums, but I will as soon as we've had the beer tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, there we go. Hello. Hello, What's your Marcus. name, Ian? What's my your name, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> my name is Ian Forrester. And your name was Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. You got uh, anything to say? I have a lot to say yeah. about Borg World, <laughs> especially the last one oh, yeah. I hosted. But I'll leave that for now. Just say great work with the podcast. Cheers, mate. Can you just say a little bit for the podcast? I.e., who you are, if you've got a forum name, if you've got any URLs to promote. Oh, why not? Oh, my name is Rajan. Yeah. And I'm from Quick.com. That's K W I Q Q. And we supply um, corporate clients with their own MySpace, as it were. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, my name's Jack. Um, I work for a company called Quick.com, K-W-I-Q. And we supply companies like with their own version of MySpace, if you will. Sounds familiar. There you go. Okay. Chances are you're going to get edited, guys, but hey. <laughs> my name's Simon. Yeah. I'm, the Hello, Simon. I'm London Stone. Right. And I've only come along for the beer. That's it. Okay, my name's Lucianne and I work for BP and if I have one message to everybody out there, it's agencies please understand web standards and don't expect big corporates like us to direct you. Please come to us and know it. You've had already. a bad experience, haven't you? I can Many tell. bad experiences. Okay, well, I'm tired that, of knowing more than the agencies. Oh, yes, that's Paul. Hi, Vogue World listeners. This is Molly Holschlag from Molly.com, having a very lovely time in London with all of the Vogue World 
band. Boagwell. Boag. Boag. In, apparently, what I've heard, in Denmark it's, it's Vogue. In, in Scotland it's Vogue as well. He, Americans he, pronounce it Vogue. He's pretentious, so, he, so yeah. does everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, I want your real name and your Bergwijn forum name. The forum name? He might not be on the forum. He is. I am, thank you very much. I know what it is. What's your, what's your name? Mouse. Oh, you're Mouse? Indeed. You don't look like Mouse. I say so. <laughs> AKA, my real name's Tim. Um... Something to say, something for the Boeg World listeners. Hello! Um, <laughs> Hello, Bob! As good as you like. Hello, Mr. Boeg. Hello, uh, Mr. Marcus. And uh, yeah, nice podcast, and thank you for introducing me to Standards. Uh, my name is Paul. My forum name is Mr. Bond. <laughs> Do you have any messages? Uh, my only message is that. I am getting slightly drunk. Uh, my name is Natasha, and I'm just trying to meet people here. Okay, cool. Having fun? You'll do. I'm doing everyone's... You've got to talk into this. What do I have to say? You have to say your name, and if I you've love, got a forum I name... I love Marcus more than Paul. That's fine, yeah. No, yeah, no, I know it's, that. Yeah, it's, good. Yeah. it's on there, I've got it. Um, Shit. If you've got... It, and swearing as well. Sorry, I apologise, um, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. If you've got anything to say to the, the huge Barag world audience, now's your opportunity. All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Nick. Uh, if, why aren't you here? Um, and my name's uh, Rich Quick, and I'm here with Molly because she's just on her book. I, I'm here with Molly, yeah. Nice yeah. One, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're new best mates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. By the way, if you have a, a URL to promote, feel free. I'll probably edit it off. Good. Uh, in that case, my name's Ryan Berman, and I go by the code name on the website as um, Ryan Berman. And, uh, and my website is uh, www.ryanberman.com. You just have to say who you are. Okay, Sheila. You got anything to say, Berg World listeners? Hello.